Thank you. Thank you to Catherine Tucker Windham speaking at the 2010 Alabama Storytelling Festival at 92 years old about the importance of stories. I'm Kamisha Foley, welcoming you to our True Tales live Zoom show on June 29th, 2021. Thanks to you, those watching and listening, and especially those who are here live online audience. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell their first person experience stories. Stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us bridge differences and build understanding and respect for each other. We are so happy to be here with you even on Zoom. Proud from the cool basement of my house in 96 degree weather. <laughs> and we do have some suggestions for making the most of this online format. Since we believe that storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners, here is how you can keep, help, help us keep that going. If you keep your video on, you can have big physical reactions in order to connect with the rest of the audience and the teller. Or you can express your reactions in the chat box. But let's practice for just a second. Be scared. Be laughing hysterically. Be surprised. You get the idea. Very good, everybody. Woohoo! And if you keep your video on, you can have those big physical reactions in order to connect with the rest of the audience, and it benefits the teller. Express your reactions in the chat box, which we save and share with the tellers later. Also, please be sure to put your questions that you have for Amy in the chat. After all the stories, we will do some Q&A. Tonight, we bring our second ever featured teller show in which we have just one teller with a number of stories. Amy Antonucci will bring you four of her dad's stories and three are completely new to our stage. Pat Spaulding will be our MC. So let me start with welcoming Pat. It's all yours. Thanks, Kamisha. Well, tonight we're all pretty excited because our featured teller is Amy Antonucci. She's a founding member of True Tales Live and our True Tales Live workshops. When Amy is not telling or closely listening to stories, she's tending her bees, poultry, goats, and gardens in her organic farm, Living Land Permaculture Homestead. Over the years, she has told several stories about caretaking her elderly father, whom listeners, like a lot of us, have found to be a very engaging and entertaining character. And tonight, as part of Amy's month-long 50th June birthday festival, she is going to treat us to four dad stories, three of which, as Kamisha said, are totally new to our stage. Her first story, is titled Superpowers. So let's welcome Amy. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, everyone. Amy, what am I gonna do without your mother? My mother was succumbing to pneumonia. And after living with multiple sclerosis for 30 years, about 20 of them, mostly in a wheelchair, we shouldn't have been as shocked as we were. My father, John, had been Irene's caregiver for about 18 of those years, ever since I had left for college. 
keeping her at home with him, whether it was wise or not, and whether she agreed or not. We're all right, we're all right, he would say when I worriedly questioned the situation. My mother would often chime in, get me the hell out of here, I am sick of this goddamn man. For what turned out to be her last week, she did go to the hospital and was mostly on a ventilator. Lots of people came though, friends of hers and of my father, to spend time with her, the center of attention even when unconscious, and to comfort my father. Many of them were from my parents' multiple sclerosis network. I felt confused, disbelief about my mother's current illness. But I was trying to put that aside in order to be informed and manage problems and make decisions. Through this distracted haze, I started to notice a curious pattern around their visitors. Many single women in wheelchairs were now showing up for a last moment with Irene, but maybe I was imagining it. It looked to me like many were also flirting with John, maybe bidding for his attention if he did end up widowed. When it was just us at the hospital, my father was understandably distressed. Amy, why is this happening? What am I gonna do without your mother? But when the visitor, visitors came, especially the women, he perked up, he smiled, he socialized. Hey, you all people, you came, aren't you so nice? As his daughter, I could not grasp it, but I did know that my dad was on the good looking and charming side. My mother had been known to say disapprovingly, your father, the Italian stallion, had so many girlfriends before me, he's lucky I was willing to settle down with him at all. But I was uncomfortable with and kind of suspicious of this current round of interest in my father. This was not because I thought he should be loyal to my mother after her death. Unrelated to having MS, Irene was not an easy person, often not a nice person. In fact, my mother's superpower was that she could read someone and find the most hurtful thing to say to them. Yet he was sticking by her to the bitter end. If he could move on and find someone else, maybe someone sweet and kind, I was all for it. And I knew that John was something of a hero for staying with Irene. About 70% of uh, people who get MS are women. And most are left by their husbands when they begin to lose their abilities. So he was kind of rare and certainly admired, but I didn't consider him a very good caretaker. When he retired early to care for my mom as her MS worsened, I often cringed and she often swore at his efforts. He refused to invest in a wheelchair van and when transferring her from the wheelchair to the car, he often hit her head on the car door, eliciting a God damn it, John, from her. He did not do a good job of brushing her hair neatly. He didn't always respond quickly to her needs. He went out without her on errands way more often than I thought safe and more than she appreciated. Your father is out somewhere again, she might say when I called. I was biased though 
because I had been my mother's first caretaker and I believed that I had done a better job even though I was just a kid. My superpower was to read her so well, it sometimes seemed like I was psychic. Amy, could you get me some crackers? She'd ask as I was about to enter the room with crackers for her. And no matter how mean she could be, she was my mother and I needed to see her cared for properly. So now at the hospital, I just found it hard to wrap my head around him being a hot commodity among women with disabilities. Irene did die that week and her loss illuminated how much John had actually needed her. Suddenly, I felt the familiar pull of being a caretaker of Antonucci's once again. As a young adult, I had fought hard to escape always putting my family first. But now, 20 years later, my father was in distress and maybe being helpful to him was an actual helpful distraction for me from my own confusing, complicated grief for the most important and most dis difficult person who would ever be in my life. More and more, I tried to be there for my father. Amy, what's this life all about? What am I supposed to do now? He was so lost without my mom bossing him around and yelling at him. I started cleaning his house, needling him to eat well and asking him about his health. And most of all, I tried to find things for us to do together so he wouldn't be so lonely. Because my father, my partner Steve and I all shared an interest in peace activism, one night, about a month after my mother died, we went into Boston to hear a talk about US wars in the Middle East. We picked up my father, drove into the city. It was a small event in an office with about 20 chairs set up. We arrived early enough to take part in an informal food and socializing hour. Dad, do you wanna pick out some seats? Maybe you wanna get close so you can be sure you hear well? Oh, that doesn't matter to me, Amy. I don't wanna be right on top of the guy, you know? How about over here? Of all the otherwise empty seats, he sat directly next to someone, a woman. A man, likely her husband, was on her other side. My father gave them a smile and settled in. They were all around the same age. I sat on the other side of my father. It hadn't been obvious at first, but soon we could see that the woman had some sort of disability or illness. Her presumed husband fetched her some food, held her plate for her. At one point he laid it on her lap and went off for more. Her movements were kind of awkward. I was trying to look elsewhere, feeling like she might not want privacy, certainly didn't want to be stared at. But my father jumped in. She smiled at him. He said, hey, you want me to hold that for you? The cookies, they're really good. You want one? He picked one up to hold for her as she took a bite, exactly like he had done for my mother. She looked grateful. Where I'd been uncomfortable, he looked more, more competent than he had in months. He had ju done just the right thing. I turned to Steve, astonished. Oh my God, is he just drawn instinctively to women with disabilities who he can feed? 
is this his superpower? Within a few more months, my father had a lady friend. She was lovely and wheelchair bound with MS. At first, he told me he was helping her. But when I met her at his birthday party, it seemed like more than that. When her condition worsened and she moved into assisted living, he drove every night to the outskirts of Boston to have dinner with her. One of his friends told me she hoped John would find someone healthy and mobile who could maybe help him and let him retire from caregiving. But I understood when you have a superpower, it just seems a shame not to use it. Oh man, that is such a good story. That story has so much complexity and heart. I've, um, I love hearing your daughter's apprehension about <laughs> seeing her dad flirt with women and, and the complexity about um, the women just kind of showing up because he was a good looking guy. We get to see a picture of him. That would be kind of fun. You ready? This uh, this isn't uh, this is a few years before. Oops. Okay, so the Italian stallion is yeah, that's someone more the time frame of this man. Yeah, this is uh, he is definitely a good-looking guy. If you say yeah, so. Yeah, you can't say it, Amy. Well, he's your dad. No, no, he's uh, he's seriously good-looking, and that's. Your mom and dad, when I mean, they look like they're having such a good time, makes uh, us more sympathetic to, to what was lost. Um, yeah, my mom really loved to, she was very adventurous. She loved to have fun and go, you know, they'd ski, they did all sorts of things. So this was back when they were dating. Yep. And then they and, got married. Wow. She was adorable too. Yeah. Yeah. For Boy, some reason, I, I can see that better. You can, you can or cannot? Can. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that's them later on in what became more what I was used to because she's at a different level because she's in a wheelchair. Right. And he's standing kind of protectively helping her. How old were you when she got kind of incapacitated in the wheelchair? Um, I was in like the third grade or so. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, I I like meeting them. It um, gives a new understanding and and sympathy to their coupleness and his devotion, his um, loyalty. So now we're going to get ready for the next story, which is titled "Birthday Bashes." Ready, Amy? I'm ready. All set. My father turned 79 years old, nine months after his wife, my mother, died. Over those nine months, our relationship had transformed from see you at the holidays to talking every single day. I felt a little overwhelmed by the change but also often satisfyingly useful. I took on cheering him up, keeping him organized, going to his doctor's appointments with him. My two main concerns for him were one, his brain health, 
and two, helping him move through losing his wife of 40 years. About his health, I worried. I worried when I realized he never asked me any specifics about my life, which is really full because I was in the process of starting a small farm. But my father had really shown a whole lot of interest in my life outside the family. Then I worried when we watched TV together and I could tell he was not following the plot or dialogue. But maybe that was a hearing issue since he also forgot to put in his hearing aids and he forgot to replace the batteries, which also worried me. None of his doctors agreed that there was a problem after interacting with my father on his best behavior. Trying to talk to my father about it just got his anxiety flaring up. He'd yell at me, Amy, I'm all right, I'm all right. But my second concern, supporting him through this loss, helping him connect to others, a birthday was a great time to do just that. Throwing him a 79th birthday party was a given, but I decided to keep it small, a gathering at his house, friends and food. We were still all in mourning, and it wasn't a major number, 79. He loved having company, one of his mottos being, the more the merrier, and was thrilled by the plans. He had a July birthday, which was a really busy time for me at our farm. So I asked others to help to bring food. I also gave my father a job. He liked a very specific kind of sheet cake from Stop and Shop. And I asked him to go ahead and get one for us for the party. July 19th was a beautiful day. I arrived and started setting up on the back porch. I remembered when that porch was being built 30 years before my mother's insistence with my father complaining about the cost from start to finish. My father returned with the cake as others were arriving. Friends, mostly from the MS community came, neighbors, my, uh, my mother's sister and my cousin. My father was smiling, happy, enjoying the attention. The time came for cake. I opened it to put on a few candles and I stopped. I read it, I considered. I read it again. Perplexed, I brought it out and I put it down in front of everyone. Dad, can you explain this? The inscription on the cake read, happy birthday to me. What'd you mean, he asked. I asked you to put your name on it. Why doesn't it have your name on it? You know, John? Oh, you know, the woman there, she asked me, who to make it out to, and I just, I wasn't so sure. So she said, who was it for? And I said, me. So she put that. He looked a little chagrined, but I couldn't tell if he understood how strange this was. Or was it just me? I turned to his friends. Do any of you think this is a little off? They were laughing, shaking their heads, shrugging their shoulders. Oh, maybe, but that's just Johnny Amy. They might be right. This wasn't new concerning behavior. This was my father being himself, just even a little more so without Irene around to keep him in line. What kept bothering me was imagining that moment in the store when the clerk approached with the question, what was going on in his head? Was he embarrassed to be buying a cake for himself? Was he kind of flirting and having fun with her? 
Or was he truly confused and unable to figure out what ought to go on his birthday cake? I wished I could answer that question and that it could show us the way ahead. It felt like a puzzle or code that if I could crack, I would be rewarded with understanding. But for now, having exhausted my investigative avenues, I put aside my worry and let the candles. He blew them out while I made that wish and we ate the cake. A year later, for my father's 80th birthday, I organized a big party. By now, I knew that it was unquestionably my responsibility to do so as my Sicilian father's only daughter. Also, I understood that he found this year to be a milestone. I'm going to be 80, Amy. That's starting to get kind of old, he told me with a pinched, pained expression. I arranged to have it at a Chinese restaurant where the MS Society often held events, so my father was already comfortable there. Still, I know he added a visit to his daily rounds out in the world for weeks beforehand, after the bank and before Trader Joe's. I did prep and planning, but I asked my father to invite people. I didn't know all his friends or have their contact info, plus my father loved talking to people, so it was yet another great way for him to connect. On the day of the party, I noticed that people were slipping my father envelopes. When I asked about it, I found out that along with the invitation, he had also requested that everyone bring $13.95 to cover their part of the bill. Horrified, I assured him that this was not appropriate, but he was unrepentant. Oh, Amy, it's fine, it's fine. They don't mind giving me some of the money. About 40 people came to celebrate my father, the dedicated caregiver to his wife, supporter of the MS community, loyal friend. We shared laughter, amusing stories, plus a program of events that I put together. First, I had a PowerPoint show of all of lots of his old photos, a boy growing up in Brooklyn, a dashing young man in the army, his college graduation. My mother entered the pictures, then us kids, back to photos of just him and my mom. He expressed amazement and delight over seeing himself projected on the wall for all to see. He opened presents, we ate lunch, we had a cake. This time I brought the cake to ensure the frosting spelled out what I thought was appropriate. The highlight of the day was the John Antonucci 80th birthday party Trivial Pursuit quiz. I created it, printed up copies and now acted as game show host. I even brought prizes. We were off to a great start with questions that many knew and more with challenging information. Then something odd happened. Okay, question five is, where did John go to college? My father's hand shot up and he yelled out, oh, oh, I know this one. Dad, we sure hope you know all of these, but you are not eligible to win. Then we came to question eight. Where did he meet his wife? Oh, I remember where I met Irene. Laughter rang out. My father rarely won word or party games like Scrabble or charades. Maybe this was like his finally a group contest he thought he had a chance at. 
Still, I just gave him a disapproving look and called him someone else. When he tried to answer question 11, where did John do, what did John do at work? I didn't think it was funny anymore. I felt off kilter, unsure, confused. My father didn't tell jokes or pull pranks. Did he really not understand what was happening? Or was this just how John acted without Irene? The game ended after 14 questions. I declared winners, handed out prizes. For everyone else, the party concluded happily, warmly. They found my father's behavior entertaining. One of my father's uh, friends even asked if I'd planned, if I would plan her next birthday party instead of having her children do it for her. I was gratified by the accomplishment, but I was once again left with a haunting question that I wished I had the power to answer that could maybe even predict our future. What about the questions he didn't even raise his hand for? Oh, uh, yeah. That leaves us a little, I don't know, for Klempt or one of those words, um, like feeling sort of, uh, I mean, he's effective. You, you could see him making a joke of it, but then when it just gets to that point, you're wondering, ooh, this maybe is not a joke. And yeah, and, and there's the daughter again, trying to keep the party going and make all the guests like happy and light, but just like, ooh, hmm, where is this headed? Boy, that dad of yours, <laughs> what a character. Um, yeah, people have commented on that terrific, uh, Boston accent that you have. Um, just wanted to remind people, if you have questions that come up during any of these stories, put them in the chat because hopefully we'll have a little bit of time to talk um, afterwards before um, after the, our stories end. Have we got anything to show? Is this proof uh -huh. I did it? I, this is not a joke. I really made a birthday party Trivial Pursuit quiz for him. Yep, there he is. Yes. Where did he go to college? What did John do at work? Yeah. <laughs> Where did he meet Irene? Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, this being a whole birthday theme, and as you know, this being a birthday month for me, I, I thought it would be fun to flip the tables here when John was taking care of Amy. That was uh -huh. when I was a few days old, I guess. So in June, years ago. Look at that. June 71, and then yeah. a couple years later was this June 73. Took me on a pony ride. He was doing his dad job. Yeah, I really liked horses already. He was terrified of them, so this was a really big deal that he went out and uh, stood next to a horse to let me have that experience. <laughs> so. Good, yeah. So, yeah, that ending with left us with more questions. So we will move right ahead into our next story titled Subtraction. Ready? Yes. All right. First, there were the checks. My father was a brilliant mathematician who had a career as a physicist developing radar technology. At home, he handled all finances. 
as the man in the breadwinner, he didn't feel it was even appropriate for the rest of us to see bank statements and bills. Math came to him so easily, he had trouble accepting when someone else didn't get it. I took after my Irish mother, better with reading and writing. I remember sitting at the kitchen table, feeling worse and worse as my father tried to help me with my math homework. He lost patience quickly, stomping his feet and bringing me to tears. My mother taught me multiplication tables instead. But now, years later, his first ever surgery, a hip replacement at the age of 82, presented a different kind of challenge that we had to work on together. The sudden onset of a heart arrhythmia after anesthetizing him caused the doctor to stop the first attempt and have to do the surgery a week later. Maybe because of the double dose of anesthesia, as he was recovering, it became clear that something had changed. He still knew everyone, remembering names as badly as before, but his short-term memory, which I brought up to his doctors for years, noticeably worsened. And for some reason, he seemed to very specifically lose his abilities with numbers. At first, when the social worker at the rehab told me my father had flunked the common memory test of writing a check, I was skeptical. I needed proof, so decided to test the theory myself. I brought in his own bills and checkbook. Until this moment, my father had paid his bills every month for my entire life. I now had the legal power to do it, but it felt wrong to take away from him anyway. We sat at a table in the common room at the rehab. I piled the bills on one side and set them up with pen and checkbook and passed him the first one. He looked at it. He looked at me. What's this about, Amy? It's time to pay your bills, Dad. Oh, all right, all right. How do I do that? Taken aback, I stared, tried to recover. Well, you put the name of the company from the bill on this line here first. Oh, I can probably do that. He picked up the pen and started writing. A few years before, my father had been diagnosed with an essential tremor, which just meant his hand shook sometimes, especially when his anxiety rose. Today, the tremor made it hard to read his writing at all. Dad, are you having trouble? Do you want me to help? God damn this tremor, Amy. I wish it wasn't in my right hand. That makes it, makes it so hard. Time for a new plan. Dad, how about I fill out the name and the amount and you just sign it? Yeah, yeah, let's do it that way. I wrote out each check, just leaving the signature line blank and placed it in front of him. For everyone, he asked, where should I sign this one, Amy? There were many things my father expected me to do for him. Accompany him to appointments, drive him to New York to see his sister, clean his house. He felt entitled to my help with these. No matter how unfair that sometimes felt to me, I didn't feel a sense of role shifting. 
it was more like the continuation of my childhood when my disabled mother and over, overwhelmed father required me, their only daughter, to take on responsibilities, regardless of whether they were reasonable for my age. Long-suffering, martyrish, I sometimes felt, but it was normal. This was different. My father had been adamantly opposed to my involvement with this my whole life. Now he looked up at me wanting my help. The whole world shifted around me. The equation was changing in ways I realized I could not figure out how to calculate. Over the next few months, I took over his finances. He didn't ask for his checkbook or bills again, but he did want to see his bank statements. I doubted this was a good idea, so I dodged the questions hoping he'd lose interest. However, when he came to my house in New Hampshire for Thanksgiving, he brought stacks of papers rubber banded together and stuffed in his jacket pockets and told me we had to look at them. Amy, there's something wrong with my bank. They say I have no money left, none at all. We sat at my kitchen table together. He handed me a stack of Comcast bills. At his level and assisted living, there was no charge, so it said amount due zero dollars. Feeling like I must be missing something, I said, Dad, this is not your bank statement. This is a cable bill, and they're saying you owe them no money, see? I handed it back to him. He studied it for at least a minute, muttering. I don't seem to get it, Amy. His confusion scared me. I couldn't make sense of it the same way he couldn't make sense of the cable bill. So I tried harder. I retrieved his most recent bank statement. Dad, look, this is your account at the bank. See the amounts? This is where your money is, get it? His next round of studying went on for at least 15 minutes. He kept reading it and rereading it, grumbling, rubbing his forehead. I paced around him, waiting for a conclusion. Finally, he raised his head. Where is the 20? The 20 what, Dad? He studied again and then demanded, the insurance! Getting totally agitated myself, I shook my head and my hands at him saying, what? My father pounded the table and demanded of me, the 20 milligrams of insurance! Where is my 20 milligrams of insurance? Here we were again at a kitchen table, stomping our feet and in tears over our math homework. Any additional arguing might work us both into a medically dangerous state. So I found a, a solution in distracting him with snacks and an old movie and I hid that paperwork away. A few months later, April 15th approached and my father's taxes loomed over me. After the Thanksgiving bank statement disaster, I wanted to keep my father out of it, but I didn't feel confident in doing them myself, having not even been allowed to look at such documents growing up. The previous few years he had visited his local senior center for free AARP assistance. I called him and asked if I could get their help without involving my father. 
They gave me an appointment, told me to bring the power of attorney paperwork and we see what we could do. I also brought my well-organized portable file box filled with documents about my father. Okay, I drove two hours, I brought everything I could think of. Please tell me we can do this. I felt weary even while my heart was racing. Uh-oh, a box. The two older gentlemen in the office exchanged glances. Were they worried that it meant I had a complicated case? Were they making fun of me for being like an organized geek? I couldn't tell, but I found and handed them every item they requested. Not only were we able to complete the process, but now with my father's higher cost of living, he would be getting a refund. I felt inordinately proud, like I'd gotten an A++. I knew that his situation had changed and that the AARP tax guys actually did the work, but I still felt triumphant to get him a refund. I decided to tell my father the good news, which I knew would thrill him as a very frugal depression era guy. I drove straight to his, to his assisted living. He was having coffee at their cafe. I sat down across the table from him. Dad, I have great news. I had your taxes done today and guess what? What? You're getting a $3,000 refund. Isn't that awesome? Well, it's always good to get money, Amy. But what is this from? It's from your taxes, you know, taxes. Like you fill out every year. Here, look. I handed the paperwork to my father. Maybe I was looking for his approval for doing a good job with my math assignment. His expression only grew more befuddled. He read it over, looking, turning the pages. Amy, why does this list an income from me? I don't work anymore, I'm retired. Yeah, dad, but your pension counts as income. Pension? Yeah, your pension. What in the world is a pension? I pulled up short, gaping, and insisted, dad, you know what a pension is. You've been getting one for years. Rattled and angry, he raised his voice back at me. No, I haven't. I don't even know what it is. I was sure I could help him figure this out. Dad, a pension is paid to you after retirement from the place you used to work. It's what a lot of people retire on. That's what you did, remember? No, he did not remember. And here we were again, stomping and in tears over our math homework. I found an excuse to reclaim the forms and tuck them away and suggested a trip to the next building over to see his friends. He didn't look sure of himself or certainly didn't look happy with me, but he agreed to go. When we reached his lady friend next door, my father perked up. He smiled and told her, hey, Amy tells me she's getting me some money. That's good, right? Yes, John, that certainly sounds better than the alternative. Is this about his taxes, Amy? I just nodded at her. I couldn't say more. I was seeing starkly these losses, these subtractions that my father was experiencing. And it was starting to sink in that I needed to learn to accept these new constants in his life. To do otherwise was a formula for added tears and pain for us both. We had new parameters to calculate and live by. 
my dad was finally teaching me some math after all. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you were both teaching each other about uh, changing equations and trying to figure out new calculations. Boy, that's um, heartbreaking, but very true to um, what you and others experience. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just hard. What I found was that it was hard to figure out, right? Yeah. And be flexible and accept things that were changing and fighting them was heart breaking both our hearts. Yeah, but then um, I think in other conversations, you've said that there were some things that he could still keep track of really well. And it's not like it all went. This particular piece was breaking down. That's, you know, way of thinking about things, calculating math. And he was always so good at it. So that was... Uh, Right. Well, part of what was fascinating, because I asked the doctors, like, like, I, and my father, he did not have Alzheimer's, he had um, a vascular dementia. So like, he'd be fine. And then suddenly something would be missing. And, you know, I, I would say to them, I don't, I don't get this, what's going on. And they were like, well, the brain's a mystery. We don't really know, which didn't really help any. But there we were. Um, and it was just seemed like such an odd thing that he, you know, here, I'll, I'll go to the pictures here. This is him getting his master's degree in mathematics and physics. Oh, his parents are so darn cute. <laughs> yeah. And he was his there on the you know, he was a first generation immigrant. They were Sicilian, um, tiny little Sicilians. And <laughs> they, he was also a late in life baby, as was I for him. So um um, but they managed through the depression to put him and his sister through, you know, advanced scientific training. Wow, good for my, them. My yeah, aunt was one of the my aunt was one of the first female chemistry professors in New York, and probably beyond that. That's and even to the end, see, this is the thing. My father and Steve would play chess. The last time we saw him, they played chess together, and he wasn't great anymore, but he could still do it better than I could so it's just like what how how do you make sense of it yeah and he's just sitting there with his hands folded looking at you like he knows what's going on yeah okay we're we're going to move into our final story which we'll find out what happens next in the ongoing um progression or uh the lives of Amy and her dad. And this one is titled, Learning to Lie. <laughs> okay, Amy. All right, so my 84-year-old father was chafing against the rules of his assisted living facility. As I saw it, he was somewhere clean, with kind people looking out for him, decent food, all sorts of entertainment, and a lady friend he was attached to. But still, I get a call at least once every day. Amy, they've got me in prison here. So with the urging of the assisted living staff, I went to meet with June, the director of a nearby adult day health center. 
I was sure it was a futile effort. I told her, I'm glad to meet you, but there is no way my father is going to agree to come to daycare. She answered, Amy, you're not gonna tell him it's daycare, but that's what it is. I, I, I can't lie to my father. Well, June really thought that I could and that I should. She told me that more than half of the day center, the day health center attendees thought they were there as volunteers and that this was the new standard of care to meet people with memory loss where they were rather than constantly telling them they were wrong. She shared with me the official term, fiblet. I struggled to wrap my mind around this. I don't know if I can do that, just directly lie to my parent. I don't feel like I'm allowed to do that. That's okay, she said. That's exactly why kids send their parents to somewhere like this. And she handed me a green sheet of paper with the title, 10 Absolutes for Alzheimer's Caregiving. What not to say. Two years after his diagnosis of dementia, this was the first time I was given any direction on how to approach my father in his new state of being. And it was pretty much a list of how I talked to my father every day in the name of being a good daughter. Never say I told you, never say you can't, never command, never reason with. The very first absolute was never argue. Pretty much all I did was argue with my father and tell him no. No, dad, you can't get another car. No, dad, you can't have your ATM card back. No, dad, you can't walk downtown by yourself. Which I guess understandably confused and infuriated him. I wasn't the only one in the struggle with him. After all, the reason I was checking out day centers at all was my, that my father's assisted living facility couldn't handle him. He wouldn't follow the rules, especially the ones about staying on the premises. He wanted to walk downtown, sleet, rain, snow. Weather doesn't bother me, he'd state and head off. If they tried harder to stop him, he would get louder. You people are keeping me hostage. I'm an American, I have rights. I'm calling the police. This meant that my father was being constantly met with arguments, commands, you can't statements, all clearly marked as no-nos on my new list. So that night when my father called with his usual list of complaints, I held tight to my green sheet, skeptical but willing to try anything. He said, Amy, they got me in prison here. And I said, yes, they do have you in prison. Do you know why you're in prison? No, why? Because you drove your daughter crazy with all your complaints. There was a moment and then he burst out laughing and said, oh, Amy, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Huh, I thought, maybe there's something to this. I moved on to the topic of the day program. I'd been advised to pick a simple fiblet and just stick to it. But in my anxiety over it, I couldn't manage to settle on just one. So I like, I threw my whole bag of tricks at him. It was complicated enough that I had to write it out and give hard copies to everyone involved so we could keep our stories great. I told them that there was a great program 
that might be able to help him get more strength in his replaced hip, but that it was very hard to get into. It was also very expensive. However, they were in desperate need of volunteers and might consider him. My father, raised during the Depression, could not resist a bargain, especially for an exclusive club. He was very comfortable with volunteering and caregiving, having helped my mother with MS for over 20 years. And the one medical issue he wanted help with was his hip. He said, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt to check it out. Wow, maybe this was my new superpower. First, we went to visit for an hour. There was a concert going on, then there was ice cream, followed by a group game. Definitely held his interest, but he seemed uncomfortable. On the way back to assisted living, I asked what he thought. I don't know, Amy, there were, there were a lot of old men there. He wasn't wrong. There were more men than women, which wasn't the case in most of his world. I thought of my new rules. I stopped myself from reasoning with him that he too was an old man. Instead, I said carefully, yes, that's a great point, dad. It is better to be with women and avoid men. Yeah, he answered, women are better. But he agreed to try volunteering there despite the distressing number of men. The day he started the program, I worried and paced. I called him that evening to ask how it had gone. He told me, Amy, it's really good these people found me. Those old men really need a lot of help. My father died about a year later. I was actually left with very few regrets. I know I did everything in my power to be a good caretaker, a good daughter, that I went over and above the call of duty. However, I do wish that I'd learned to lie to him sooner. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful, Amy. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, You've taken us on quite a ride with these stories. And um, as John said in one comment, if ever a daughter loved her father, you certainly did. Um, I mean, that comes across. And he, he loved you too. I mean, the, your whole family connection and, and your mom too. Very honest as well as loving, which is not easy to do. Uh, we We don't have too much time, I think, for the Q&A. Um, Kamisha, do you have some points that you think might be good to, some questions that we could answer quickly? If somebody wants to know, um, <laughs> which on the, the story birthday bashes, was uh, your dad always oh, asking yeah. people to chip in for other things or was this a new phenomenon? <laughs> Well, I don't know. See, part of what happened is I hadn't been that involved in there. They, they kind of, once I left for college, they suddenly got really involved in the MS world. Um, and so they had this whole life that I really, you know, wasn't a part of. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't exactly be surprised, but it wasn't something I'd seen him do before. So I didn't know. 
So many people could identify and they were all um, very, you know, feeling your stories and anxious about what was going to happen next. I mean, you, you got the anxiety pumped. Good. <laughs> well, I, come, I, I also personally come by it. Honestly, my father was a very anxious guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I remember once driving, he came up and Steve was driving over. The, I couldn't drive. It made him too nervous. But Steve was driving and we were going over the Portsmouth to Newing or the Newington Bridge. And he suddenly said, Steve, don't drive into the water. <laughs> Steve was like, thanks a lot. I needed that, you know. So, yeah, yeah, we, it's a bit of a family inheritance uh, that, yeah, the two of us could really get each other going. But it is also, it's just anxiety producing. Everything's changing and you don't really know what's going to happen. And you know, everyone's heard all these horror stories. And sure, it's tough. But to be totally honest, one of the things I felt like was, you know, in rethinking a lot of the pain of it was worrying about what could happen. Yeah. And that I would have been happy to get more information about the you know, the positives, because we also had some fun times and not everything went terribly. And I, but I was asked to be constantly focused on how he was going to fall and he was going to get hit by a car and he was going to all these things that were just like keeping me up every single night. And well, I think actually we're going to have to wind this up because our, um, our time's running out. But You've definitely given us a positive spin with your experience. And um, so thanks for sharing these stories, Amy. And maybe David in his follow-up conversation with you can address a few of the questions too. Thanks everybody. I think Kavish is gonna take it from here. Um, thank you, Amy, thank you. <laughs> thanks to everyone for being with us tonight, especially our tellers in our live audience. We are soon to move to the backstory interview where David Frainer speaks one-on-one -on -one with Amy. But first, let me tell you, we are entering the summer hiatus. So our next True Tales Live Zoom show is on Tuesday, September 28th at 7 p.m. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to find the link to register. We are also taking signups for tellers for the fall. So we encourage you to attend one of our first monthly uh, Tuesday workshops on Zoom from 7 to 8.30. You can find this schedule on our Facebook page. You can get feedback on your story and practice telling on Zoom. These will continue through the summer, the next one being on July 6th. Contact us at info at truetaleslivenh.org to become a teller and find out more. Watch us on Portsmouth Public Media Television, Comcast Cable number channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 and Saturdays at 1 p.m and anytime as video on demand or podcast. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to easily access all of these. Now, before we move to the backstory of Amy, just want to say it's time for a minute of movement and fun with our True Tales dance party. We have been having a great time with this dance party and hope you will have your video on and move just a little, even just nod your head. You might want to switch to gallery view and stand up. It's all yours, John. <laughs> <laughs> 